Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Rampant Mumblings, the one where I try and do it all on the iPad. Now, this has come, uh, come about, I should say, because this week I've been writing a series of articles, not all of them have been published yet, about what it's like trying to ditch my MacBook Pro, because I've got a few problems with the MacBook Pro. The Z, X and the command key on the left-hand side of the keyboard doesn't work, and to be fair, that's proving fairly problematic, especially with the amount of copying and pasting I do, rearranging paragraphs of text for my reviews, and all that sort of stuff. So there's that, and also partly inspired by Carl Madden from the Mac and Forth show, getting his iPad Pro. And so I wanted to see just how much of my daily workflow I could actually do on my iPad. And so far, it's been quite an interesting experiment. So to start off this experiment, I thought what I'd do is let's take one of the jobs that I do almost every day, and that's do a bit of blogging or reviewing. Now, dealing with text on the iPad is easy, as long as you've got a Bluetooth keyboard. Although, I'm, I would say now the next generation of writers and bloggers that are going to be coming through are going to be probably more than happy tapping away on the screen. Unlike myself, I cut my, uh, my teeth, so to speak, on the old mechanical IBM PS2 keyboards, and I, I still think they were one of the best keyboards out there. But anyway, dealing with text, as you can imagine, is easy. There are a multitude of apps out there that will sync with Google Drive, Dropbox, you name it, it can do it. The only thing I did find, strangely enough, was on my iPad, using WordPress was a horrifically laggy experience. Because when you're in the default view, which I guess is a sort of semi-graphical but not quite fully rendering the content as it should look for you it's really laggy to type on you can if you're a decent speed typist you're looking at a good few seconds for the words to start appearing on the screen as you're typing unless you drop into html view but what i've learned and i've learned this the hard way is do the text in something that backs up automatically so i very very rarely now work online because once bit or many times bit twice shy so the text thing is really easy it's when you get to images that's when the problem starts getting the image right at the top of the post or the hero image is really really important because you have to find the best trade-off of clarity versus image size because that image gets transformed and cropped into other images on the website so Instead of me serving this like a one meg image, but that scaled down to thumbnail size, it will go ahead and crop and convert it down to the appropriate sizes it needs for the thumbnails. So it's quite important to get that right. Now, the only problem is I work at a non-standard aspect ratio, which is something I think I'm going to have to change this week. So to give you an idea, I work at 700 by 350 pixels. Now, on the Mac, what I would do is create a new document, copy and paste the image that I want to use into that document or drag it from Finder or wherever, wherever. And using the grab handles, I proportionally resize it to keep all the constraints and dimensions looking proper into the size. Now, the reason I don't just do a flat resize to say, okay, here's an image, convert it to this, is because sometimes you want to frame the image. You want to just get the contents or highlight a particular thing. or You, you know what I mean. You, you basically want your target to be in the middle, more or less. Dead easy on the Mac. 
And you can do it on iOS. And for this particular experiment this week, I've been using Pixelmator. Now, Pixelmator for iOS is very good for touching up images and doing image manipulation, such as a good many other few apps on there. And I'm not, this isn't a, a diss against Pixelmator because you'll find out why, because they have been quite responsive. So this isn't a diss, this isn't to say, you know, don't go and use their software, you should. I'm a paid up member and I've bought it for my iPhone. I bought it on my iPhone and I bought it for the Mac as well. So following the same steps, you create a new image of a custom size of 750 by 350, or sorry, 700 by 350. Then you do an import image and you get the image, which is fine. You can resize it with the grab handles as before. It's only when you export it that the image looks considerably degraded compared to its counterpart on the Mac. And what do I mean by that? Well, it's not like it's a horrible real player mess where it looks like it's been streaming and hasn't got enough data. Instead, it just doesn't lose, uh, sorry, it loses all of its sharpness, all its crispness. It's like, uh, if, you, if you know what graphics look like without anti-alazing, Everything's a bit more blockier. You lose all that fine attention to detail. Now, initially, I thought this was because of the images that I use, so I tried different images, or I thought it might be that if I'm comparing it against the Mac, what I'm doing on the Mac is saving at 85% quality to match the file size. Now, I told Pixelmator about this, and they said that Pixelmator for iOS exports an image at 75% quality. So I'm kind of left in a bit of a quandary here on what to do. I could do the images for my blog, but they would be a little bit bigger than I would like. I can do the text no problem at all. So do I class this as a pass-fail? It's like, yes, I can do it, but not quite at the quality that I would like. But anyway, let me just go and get the response from Pixelmator and I'll read back what they said. You know, I was doing this. I've got to put a shout out here to iOS because I'm absolutely loving Spit View. Split View, I should say. Spit View? Blimey, you can tell it's Friday. Because on the, because well, I'm using Ferrite, which is what I'm going to come to in a minute, I can use Slide Out View on my iPad Air and I can see uh, my website. So, Pixelmator got back to me when I told them, you know, what's the deal here? Why do images look significantly degraded on iOS versus on the Mac? So, this is what they said. Hi Mark, thanks a lot for the kind words and such a detailed email and don't worry, your explanation skills are top notch. First of all, the image comes out at a smaller file size on iOS because iOS exports JPEGs at 75% quality by default. So just to interject here, I'm not entirely sure if they're saying that this is an iOS fault or if this is a Pixelmator fault. Anyway, back to the letter. Second of all, you're right, the image resized on iOS does look jagged. I spoke to the devs about this and they did say that they're planning to improve resizing on iOS. They also mentioned that it should work better if, instead of resizing the layer, you, you use the image setup to resize the entire image, canvas included. I realise this means that you'd first need to crop the image to the right dimensions first, which would be a little bit difficult on the iOS app, considering you need an aspect ratio of 2 to 1. But that is a possible workaround if you already have a larger image with the right aspect ratio already. Either way, I've passed all this on to the devs and they did say that this is something they plan to improve on in the future. Thanks for your input and don't hesitate to get in touch if there's anything else I can help with. 
Now, they didn't see my article. They had no idea I was uh, I was putting an article out. So I don't want anyone to think that they're just responding due to journalistic pressure or whatever nonsense. But it's really good to see a team like that taking the time out to actually write a detailed explanation instead of going, this is an issue we're aware of. Uh, we'll be issuing an update shortly. So kudos to Pixelmator. So this week on the Mac and Forth show, one of the guys in the chat room said, well, why don't you try re- cropping your images to 16.9 as that's more or less the same sort of aspect ratio as you need. And that is a very, very good idea. But then I'm still left with the task of trying to resize something because, as you may or may not be aware, you can't actually resize an image with an iPhoto. I could go down the pixel meter route and then I would lose all the, I may lose the quality. I will, uh, I'll have to go and do another test of that. Uh, and if you've ever tried to go out there and find a semi-decent app which allows you to resize images, all of the ones I've found so far are either using Pestaware, which is basically every time you click a button, an advert comes up or a dialogue comes up. They just look like they've been written for iOS 5 or there's some other feature that doesn't quite work. So I've yet to find a decent app to do any resizing in. Now, I don't want to level all this criticism just at Pixelmator because, like I said, I am a fan of them, so I'm I'm going to level this to everyone because there's a load of apps out there that you think you should be able to do something so basic as this without any issues. For example, Photoshop Touch, Photoshop Express, Avery, Snapspeed, and a couple of others that I've tried, and all of them suffer from the, suffer from the same issue of being a photo editor rather than an image creator slash manipulator. You can load up an image for your camera roll, no problem at all. But the second you start getting into the murky worlds of wanting to do a crop or a resize, they, don't, they just don't seem to do it. Now, I could crop an image down or if I knew the correct dimensions of, so let's say I've got an image twice as big as the area that I want. So I could maybe do a crop that way, but every app that I've seen so far and admitted I've only tried half a dozen, it never shows you the dimensions of the crop size that you're doing. So again, I seem to be stuck in the same boat. So I could potentially crop out an area at the right proportional dimensions, then resize it. But you're starting to get into the realms of this being a whole lot of hassle. And again, we had the we had a discussion on the Mac and Forth show about what would you use the iPad Pro for? And my argument has been the same. Well, why are we suddenly looking at all the use cases for the iPad Pro? Basically, because it is a bigger, better, shinier iPad. Why are we not gen- why are we not flinging this all out towards the actual iPad itself? You know, all the other generations out there. Now, there is some argument that there has to be this lack of convergence between desktop and iOS. And I absolutely get that because you can't hammer in desktop features onto an iPad because it doesn't work. That is unless you thought about it, you've listened to what people are actually trying to do, and you come up with a rather nice app called Ferrite, which is what I'm using to record this podcast with. Ferrite is basically... Well, the the best way I can explain it with my limited experience of it over the last two days, it's a multi-track 
recorder for iOS that lets you do all manner of cool things. You can cut tracks, split them, copy them. You can do automatic silence detection to cut chunks out. You can change the crop points, which you can do on the garage band, for example. You can apply high noise gates, sorry, high noise filters, low noise filters, noise gates, amplification. Uh, you can whack on a noise gate. I'm not quite sure if I've said that before. And so far, it's proving to be a really good experience. But then I sort of hit the brick wall, which is where I'm at now, and which is where you're getting the sound quality from, is that I'm using my iPad Air and the iRig mic cast. And for what I'm listening to, it sounds a little bit hollow. Now, that might be because I'm not recording in my same location as normal, but I'm going to try and put a few noise filters on and I'll have a more in-depth review on the uh, the Ferrite iOS app coming up, well, hopefully, over the weekend. So, now for something completely different, I'm going to hand you over to Nemo, and this week he's got a double header in Nemo's hardware store. The two most recent podcasts have featured batteries and a charger from Nemo's hardware store. Well, now let's go outdoors. Let's enjoy this gorgeous weather we've been having, and let's do a workout. Where I live in southern Arizona, I can go swimming every month of the year in addition to hiking and other outdoor activities. So I've been using the Active Edge Workout T-shirt. I'm extremely skinny, but they sent me the medium, not the small, and the medium is perfect. I've been wearing it in the swimming pool and it constricts my body and it adds oomph to my rather feeble crawl stroke that I do. And it's much better than any of the Under Armour or any of the traditional polyester or whatever those shirts are made of. This has 50% poly and 50% cotton. You can read about it on the links that we'll have on our show notes for this episode. It's not super attractive. It's sort of a hideous, boring black with the blue logo on the front and the back. But you don't care what you look like when you're swimming and working out, I hope, because what you want to have is a unisex shirt for when you're running in Mark's case or swimming in my case or biking in Mark's case. Everybody should have one of these shirts. I realize they're very expensive, but it has definitely made my swimming, especially in the sunny conditions that we've recently had, and then the cool conditions that we're having coming up here for outdoor swimming in southern Arizona. I realize most of you aren't going to be swimming during the winter, but trust me, it's great to have a form-fitting shirt that holds you in for when you're doing exercise on dry land as well as in the water. So I can recommend the $65 U.S. Active Edge Workout T-shirt. Look at their links on their website and see if you think this is something that you'd be interested in. It's a new type of high-tech clothing. I was very, very skeptical when it arrived, and I've been using it, and now I'm not going to go in the water or do a serious workout without it. Thank you, Active Edge, for my workout t-shirt. There's a new company called First Harmonic, and their website is firstharmonic.com. They have exactly one product. It's called the IEB6 Plus Mic. They're in-ear headphones. They come in one color that's black, with a blue accent, and they are only $50 in the U.S. These are premium in-ear headphones, and they've been developed by the lead people at the ThinkSound headphone company, and I've been recommending and using the ThinkSound products for a long time. Now, they've just arrived, so I haven't fully broken them in, and you'll be hearing and reading more about them from me and others. 
but the sound is very, very clear and crisp, especially in the mid-range and the treble. I think the bass will be breaking in over the next 24, 48 hours of listening. The one thing I want to commend them on, in addition to their build quality and their audio quality, is the fact they come with five different sizes of flexible silicon ear tips. Extra small, small, medium, large, and extra large. So I'm using the large for my adult male ear cavities, and they're comfortable, the sound is good, and I can listen for a long time. It's got a fairly tangle-resistant cable. They're lightweight. It comes with a little tote bag, and I think you will enjoy them. In addition, they do have the microphone, so you can use these for FaceTime, Skype, or any calls that you make using your iPad or your iPhone, compatible with iOS and Android, and it's got single-button control so you can pause and play and skip to the next track. I've tried that, and it works beautifully. So well done, first harmonic for the IEB6 Plus mic, $50 US. Thanks for listening. Thank you, John, once again for another cracking Nemo's hardware store. You can catch John over on the MyMac.com website and links to everything mentioned in Nemo's hardware store will be in the show notes, along with links to purchase from Amazon. And did you know that by using our Amazon link, you can actually help support the show? By using our Amazon affiliate link, any purchase you make, and it doesn't have to be something we've mentioned on the podcast or the website, will net us a very, very small commission from whatever you buy. So use our link, head to Amazon, purchase, we get a small kickback. It doesn't cost you anything or any extra work. You know, there's no extra charge added on top. There's no tick box, tick, run, tick. The price isn't bumped up at the end to say, do you wish to make a donation? All you have to do is shop and check out as normal. It's that easy. So if you do a daily, weekly, or whenever shop at Amazon, do consider going to them via our link and just helping to support this show. And John, thank you very much once again. So just coming back to the whole argument of should I get an iPad or should I get a MacBook? Now, the thing is, I really want to keep my iPad, but right now, because I can't do what I want to do, I'm going to maybe have to look at going back to, you know, to my MacBook. Now, of course, I could get a Bluetooth or a USB keyboard, but then I'm just hanging, I'm just carrying around more weight. I'm looking for the smallest, most effectively portable device that I can use to do what I need to do. Now, of course, doing a podcast, I'm still going to have to go back to the desktop because there is no way right now you can do a Skype call easily using an iOS device. I suppose if I was clever and creative, I could sort of set up a call where I could use my iPhone and a USB mixer and go USB to lightning. I'm going to do some more research on that. I might give it a try. But for the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to stick with the setup that I've got so far. Now, of course, there is the argument of saying, well, If the iPad doesn't do what you want it to do, just go and get a laptop. And I don't buy into that necessarily. I think where we're sort of lacking is the iPad market itself is still languishing behind in the adoption rate. And I think that's partly the fault of developers, not just Apple, because it's not made abundantly clear what sort of difference you get on the iPad version of an iPhone app. And I'm just as guilty as this. Go ahead and go and look at your favorite Mac site, which is hopefully essentialmac.co.uk. Gratuitous plug there. And you'll see that almost all of the time, 
people link to the iPhone version and the iPad version gets a bit of a miss. Now, I've been looking around at places to rent recently and, yeah, okay, it's not a bad experience on the iPhone. But boy, oh boy, a couple of apps that I've used on the iPad have got brilliant features like just being able to select an area of a map of the UK or Wales, click search, and it shows me all the places to rent. And that's really, really nice. And I think if developers got a bit more out there and a bit more savvy about marketing the iPad app, then it probably would take off. Now, don't get me wrong. I can see why people wouldn't do that because the iPhone is such a big, big dominant market force that, of course, you know, why bother? Why put all that extra effort in to make 10% more? We could add a new feature to your app and you could make 50% more in terms of relative market share, profit, time, return on investment, etc., etc., etc. So I can see why they do it, but I just wish that developers would embrace the iPad a bit more. All that being said, for all my negativity, I really have enjoyed the pretty much almost mono-focused, although not so mono-focused experience I've had so far this week of just using my iPad to do most of my writing. Again, it seems to be the apps that are scuppering me. For example, today I did a bit of collaboration with a guy from the Mac and Forth chat room, Serenak, uh, to help tidy up a review. And the experience was better on the web, on my desktop, than it was using the native app, which is a little bit unfortunate. So now it means I've got to go and try and find a, an app that's probably a little bit better for real-time collaborative working. Oh, God, I feel like a corporate say, sellout saying that this late on a Friday evening when I'm recording. Uh, I might even give um, Pages a try. And I know it's got a bit of a bad reputation. And again, as we said on the show... I think the adoption rate for pages is, is low because what what new does it offer? You know, what is the compelling reason to switch from Google or Office to pages? And really, there is none. Instead, it's more there baked in or you know, part of the Apple ecosystem for those people who haven't got something and want to. It's just a shame that the rest of the internet lags behind making documents fully compatible with pages. I mean... Christ almighty, how many times have I tried to apply for a job, I had to fill in a form, and I can only use Word, and it drives me absolutely bonkers. However, that is for a completely, completely different podcast. So I'm going to cut this one a bit short. Thank you once again to Mr. Nemo for doing the Nemo's Hardware Store. Thanks to Carl Madden over at the Mac and Forth Show for having me on his show this week, and to Serenak for basically helping me out this week to get my reviews back on track. So until next time, stay safe, have a good one, and there'll probably be another show coming up shortly. Now, please, please, please do give me feedback to the show this week, if, you, if, you, if you'd like to, really. Mainly about how it sounds, what was the editing like. I've tried, I'm going to try a few noise filters, a few low-pass filters. I'll be honest with you, I don't really know what I'm doing with them. And all of this is being recorded on nothing more than my iPad. So I've got my iPad, the iRig, iRig mic cast from IK Multimedia and Ferrite. And of course, all of this is going to be in the show notes. Uh, I am considering moving hosts. I'm just waiting for a platform to be launched uh, before I move all of my, uh, all of my shows over. Uh, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that. I've also got a busy week this week coming up because I'm trying to find a Cyber Monday deal to get away from Media Temple because I've just had enough, though. 
Their response times are absolutely shocking. They just blame WordPress for everything, even though I'm on their premium WordPress hosting. But I'm not going to bitch about them yet again. You're probably bored of that. So if you want to, you can leave the feedback via essentialmac.co.uk. Just go to the Contact Us link on the top right-hand corner. You can follow me on the Twitter via at OceanSpeed. If you follow me, I'll follow you back and all that sort of stuff. And of course, if you want to, you can follow the show, uh, sorry, not the show, the website via at Essential Mac. And that pretty much covers it. And also, if you leave any feedback, if you'd like to, please, please, please leave a bit of feedback on iTunes. Give us a rating. It gives us all us, well, gives me a really good boost. And uh, yeah, it just spurs me on a little bit. So until next time, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, have a good one. Ta-da.